Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good having everyone here. We'd love to, before we start into this, um, Simon and Emma are getting married this Wednesday. A big day for them. So we'd love to pray for you guys. Could you stand up? We've been doing a lot of body ministry this morning. So uh, if you're sitting around them, could you put your hands on them? Why don't you, if you feel comfortable, stretch out your hands towards them. Jerry, would you come and pray for them? Is that all right? Father, I I want to thank you that you are um, the one who uh, thought of marriage. And I just ask in Jesus' name that you will be very present with Simon and with Emma when they get married this week. I pray that they will have a good, joyful day. And Father, we just ask that everything will go according to plan. But Lord, we pray um, that this will not just be a joyful day, but that it will be a joyful marriage. That it will be a journey of love for both Simon and Emma every day of their lives. We ask, Father, that they will learn to start each other, start each day with each other and with you. Father, I just ask that your presence will be very real to them individually and as a couple. I pray that you will You will help them to be a witness in their generation of what marriage should be. So God, we just ask that you, by your spirit, will be very present with this couple every day of their lives. And that your name will be blessed and glorified through their union. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jerry. Bless you guys. All right. Spiritual cataracts. This is what the Holy Spirit's talking about this morning, so let's stay on it. Um, I'm going to skim through a whole load of slides here just to focus around us. I want to stay with what he's speaking on this morning. And obviously for a lot of us, this is where Phil sends his love, by the way, from uh, the grandstand and Silverstone Grand Prix over there this weekend. This was his 60th birthday present. A whole pile of us got him last year. So he sends his love from there. Um, but Phil, you know, the last number of weeks have started under the book of John. Just one of the things I wanted to say in this, this hasn't been us because it's a summer thinking we're pausing our series following Jesus in all of life. The reason why we went into one of the Gospels wasn't just because people like reading the Gospels and so it's an easy thing to do for the summer. But if we're going to be people who follow Jesus in all of life, then, right, spiritual cataracts, let's look at this. How do you see Jesus in the Gospels? As you read and you study the pages of the Gospels, they are more than just nice stories. 
They're more than just nice stories for you to read. If we are to follow Jesus and his ways, then how we learn that is by watching and observing his life in the pages of scripture. We read and we see what he's done. This is what every good disciple would have done. They would have watched, they would have observed the rhythms and life of the rabbi. And this is what we do. This is why we're in the gospel of John. That's because it's a great gospel and everyone loves reading it. But it's as we read it, Jesus, give us, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. See what you have been doing. How do we apply it to our own lives? How do we follow you? How do we be like you in this way? And that's why over the last number of weeks, Phil chatted, or last week, Phil chatted about this idea that while the word became flesh, that we are called to be those who follow Jesus in all of life. We're chosen. We've been given a responsibility to follow Jesus, to lead other people to follow Jesus in the fullness of it, that we don't just bring people to say a prayer for the sake of it, but we get people to follow him wholeheartedly with everything we have. Phil told a story last week about a guy in B&Q. Um, as he was looking around, he couldn't find a whole load of stuff. Do you know sometimes you go into some supermarkets and you ask someone that works there, where do you have this? And they'll say, aisle five, middle shelf, halfway down, and you've still got to take ages to try and find the thing. And this person, took, while Phil had a list, took him from aisle to aisle to show him every single item and then escorted him out of the building. I don't know whether they thought Phil was dodgy or what, but there it was. This guy took him and showed him every step of the journey. This is what God calls us to. And so when we talk about the Great Commission, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes to be able to see. This is what we are called to be about as disciples of Jesus, that this is what Jesus has called us to do. What Phil touched on last week was this element of a teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. How do you use your life, all that the Holy Spirit has deposited within you, all that the Lord has led you to understand? How do you lead other people to experience God and the fullness of life that he has for them? This is what he desires for you, but it's what he desires other people to experience and to learn and for you to give away. So how do we, how do we press into that more? And it has to be it has to be, uh, God, would you open my eyes to this? Help me to see this is what you have me to step into. The enemy wants to keep you blinded to this. The enemy doesn't want you to realize and have a full understanding of what it means for you to be a Christian, what it means for you to be a follower of Christ. So it's about leading people fully. Today, I want to just take a, go back just a little bit in the Great Commission, and we're going to be looking at go make disciples of all nations. So for the last 20 minutes here is what we're going to be in John chapter 3. Um, we're, I'm not going to take time to read it all today because I'm going to be jumping in and out of a few verses. But this is the story of, of Nicodemus. He, he's, a, he's a Pharisee. He's a leader uh, within uh, the Jewish people. And he's come to Jesus. And this is the passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus says these words to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. You see, this, this was the whole point of why Jesus came. So Luke actually records these words that Jesus said of himself. Listen to Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If we just pause and just even reflect on those words, if we're going to be those who follow Jesus in all of life, then the reason why Jesus came was because he had come to seek and to save the lost. As Jesus sends us out, this is what he sends us out to be, a people that would seek and would bring a message that can save the lost. The message and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what his mission was. This is why he was here. And this is why we are a sent people. Claire has even been singing this morning about the authority that we carry. You know, we chatted about this lots in church over the last while, so we're not going over it again. This is what we're sent out to be. This is a mission. This is the mandate upon our lives each and every day. We seek 
We save the lost, we, not us saving the lost, but the message that we have. It's the salvation. It's salvation for all who believe. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We'll not take time to read all of this, but let's just read the last, the last few verses of this. So this is chapter one, or chapter three, verses one to 18. This is verses 16 to 18. And this is what it tells us. For God so loved the world, this was his mandate, that he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Three things, just very briefly. I want to just race through the first two and just labor a bit more in the last one because I feel it's more in keeping with what the Spirit's saying here in this service. But specifically for these first two, firstly, as a follower of Jesus, whether you like it or not, we have to tell people about Jesus. We have to talk about Jesus. We have to be able to tell people about why it is we love Jesus. We have to be able to tell people about the good news that we have. Jesus was really direct with Nicodemus. He's saying, you must be born again. He says this to him in verse six. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He was saying this to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, the stuff you try to work out in your fleshly sort of way, it's all just good works, and it's not cutting, it's not cutting the cloth with this one. You must be born again. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We have to call people and lead people into life in the spirit. It's what it's about because that's where the fullness of life is going to come from. I don't quote John Piper an awful lot, but I love just the words that he says, and this is an exegesis of this verse. He says this, when you're conceived and born by human parents, you share in a human nature. When you're conceived and born by the divine spirit, you share in his divine nature. Your first birth makes you alive to human life. Your second birth makes you alive to spiritual life. Our first birth knits our hearts affectionately to our earthly father. Our second birth knits our hearts affectionately to our heavenly father. Our first birth gives us an appetite for warm milk and cool reputation and hot sex. Our second birth gives us an appetite for God. Our first birth imparts a natural impulse to save our lives. Our second birth imparts a supernatural impulse to lose our lives for Christ's sake. You must be born again. See, there's this reality that unless it's born of the Spirit, much of what the Spirit wants to lead us into, we cannot do in our own strength. This is why it's open your eyes. See the need and the reality and the significance of the Holy Spirit in your life every day. It's Holy Spirit, open my eyes to all that you have for me. Holy Spirit, empower me for all that it be. You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Just briefly to say on this, though, is that while we're saying that we have to tell, one of the main things that stops us is that we sometimes just have a little bit of fear and reservation in talking to people about Jesus. We live in what is called a politically correct world where the last thing you can do is offend someone. And that's really good. I agree. The last thing we want to be is rude and offensive and judgmental, which we'll look at at the end. But the last thing we want to do is to shy away from the message of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus has died for you so your sins could be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the reality. God wants you to live. God wants you to live fully. 
This is the message that we have to tell. But how we speak the truth is really crucial. Do you know why sometimes there's some things that are just really hard? Sometimes when you, some people ask you some questions and it's really hard to tell the truth. So like questions like, do I look fat in this? How do you answer that? Or if, if your wife asks you, do you like this dress on me? And you know, well, you've bought that dress, so you obviously like it, so I can't say no. How do you? Do you know what? But there's some questions, though, that some people would ask you about Jesus. And sometimes you know the truth. And sometimes there's a bit of a fear or there's a reservation in telling people what they need to hear. Jesus was really direct with Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Paul actually says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, instead, speak the truth in love. Peter actually says this as well. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth with grace. One of the things on this, see where it says, if anyone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. One of the things that I would say, offer as a bit of advice is this. Be ready to talk about Jesus. So, very practically, practice what you would give as an answer if someone was to say, why do you believe in Jesus? Practice in your head an answer where someone say, why do you follow Jesus in your life? Be ready to give an explanation of the hope that you have. You speak the truth in love. You see, in a politically crack world, we're afraid to offend someone by the things we say. When you speak the truth in love, people aren't offended. <laughs> when you speak the truth with grace and mercy, people aren't offended. They're willing to listen. And one of the things that can so easily happen as well is because it's an unknown. And so as well as practicing and like get the script in your head sort of things you'd say, practice it, keep trying it. Sometimes when you've tried it once or twice, you actually realize the thing that freaked you out about it and the thing that you were fearful about it actually isn't that scary. It's try it, practice, keep going over it. And we have, we have to share the full package. It's like the last thing we want to do is to belittle the gospel that we actually share with people. We don't want to reduce Jesus to someone's level and reduce the gospel to someone's level. But the last thing we want to do is to place un, uh, unexpected weight or, or baggage upon people that makes it harder. It's what the Pharisees would have done as well. As a context for this, Nicodemus in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, so just the two or three verses before John chapter 3 starts, we read this. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Nicodemus was one of these people. He was a leader of the Pharisees. He was in Jerusalem at the Passover at this time. And we know this because actually this is what Nicodemus says to Jesus. So he's seen Jesus perform these signs that he was doing. And then in chapter 3, he says this to Jesus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. He's seen Jesus do these signs in Jerusalem. When he comes, he's had... A momentary experience. But Jesus goes straight to the heart of it. Jesus was looking more than that. He's like, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's believed in something but hasn't fully believed in the full thing. He's, he's had something that has almost been like a, a bit of a big moment experience. But it hasn't been a full wholehearted surrender to Jesus. He hasn't fully believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Christ. Just one thing, a couple of things to say in this. Is that, so... As we tell people, the last, the last thing we're trying to be is like salesmen, right? Where it's, it's, right, 
here's, you know, like people want to tell you about all the bonuses and all the perks you get with it. So it's just like, if you come to Jesus, oh, wait to hear all the things you get. You get this, this, and this. You'll, if you forget all your troubles, if you come to Jesus, you'll sort out, there's a prosperity gospel say, you'll sort out all your finances. <laughs> what a load of garbage. <laughs> In this world, you will have problems, you will have troubles. And what it actually is, it's that actually this is what Jesus can mean to you. We tell people the fullness of Jesus. We tell people about who Jesus is. The last thing we do is to diminish Jesus. We, we sung some of the words this morning in their songs that Jesus is Messiah. He's Christ. He's Lord. He's the Son of God. We tell people fully about who Jesus is and the magnitude and the enormity of who he is. He is God, but yet he is God who came in flesh because for God so loved the world that he sent his Son. He's the one who came and lived and dwelt amongst us so that we can enter into relationship with him. And as we enter into relationship with him, he he wants us to live fully and that is why he gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. So two things just to say in this as well is that one of the things we've done with reformed uh, Protestant evangelicalism is that we've got people to say a sinner's prayer. You've heard me harp on about that the last couple of times. Get people to say a sinner's prayer and then we just leave them to their own devices and we say just read your Bible. And it's really important to read your Bible. Please keep reading your Bible. And then one of the things we've done as well in Pentecostal charismatic churches is that we've said to people, just come and have all like the, the, the fluffy, nice experiences of, you know, where you can feel nice and warm and all that sort of thing. And that is really important because God is to be experienced. The Spirit is to be experienced, right? And so it's going after the experience of the Spirit. But it's everything together. It's the fullness of this. It's that God wants us to live fully. And the different ways of that is that we acknowledge Jesus as Lord. We read about him in the Word. And as we study the Word, is that we have our heart open and the eyes of our heart open the spiritual cataracts taken away because the Holy Spirit is alive in us that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit you must be born again it's the fullness of it we tell people fully about all that God can be for them we do not settle for any less but we speak the truth in love we share a message of grace and so this leads me to the last point for 10 minutes, and this is really where I feel the spiritual cataracts thing fits in. We have to tell everyone. We have to tell everyone. Two other stories in the book of John that help me to illustrate this. See, John 3.16, I should have said, is probably one of the most well-known verses. People have held it up in big signs, at sporting events, working sandwich boards. You see people shouting it from street corners. For God's love the world. He sent his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So believe in him or you're going to hell. And we can shout that in his truth, but it's just not said in love, right? Speak the truth in love because here's the next verse, which is crucial for the last part of what we're doing this morning. The next verse after John 3, 16, John 3, 17. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through but in order that the world through him might be saved. Two stories, two stories of two women, John 4 and John 8. John 4, this is a story of a Samaritan woman who is coming to draw water from a well in the cool of the day, or in the heat of the day, actually, I should say. And Jesus, Jesus speaks into her life. Jesus starts to say to her, he said, tell me about your husband. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, oh, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have five husbands. And actually, the man you're with at the minute actually isn't your husband. You can imagine her going, how on earth do you know that? She's like, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And Jesus starts to tell her 
Jesus starts to tell her graciously about God. And this, she turns into be one of the first missionaries. She goes and tells her whole village. And the whole village then come and believe in Jesus. In John 8, there's a woman who's been caught in adultery. And the religious leaders are coming and they're standing with stones in their hand. They want to stone her because that's what the law says they should do. Two things to do with the context of these stories that I think apply for us today. And particularly what the Holy Spirit's saying about spiritual cataracts, all right? Firstly, both these stories are to do with women, Jesus engaging with women. And in this, these times, women were considered worthless. They were considered secondary. This was a patriarchal culture where it was all about men and women were considered like bottom of the scrap heap sort of thing. So the fact that Jesus, particularly as a rabbi, that Jesus is talking with women was just like, what on earth are you doing, Jesus? <laughs> you should not be doing that, Jesus. That's what people would have been thinking, Right? John chapter 4, this is a Samaritan woman. What actually happened was that in terms of historical context, so we have an understanding of this. In the time of the kings, there was King Saul, there was King David, and there was King Solomon. At the end of King Solomon, this was like the golden era, and golden era sorry, in the history of Israel. And at the, after that time, there was a split in the kingdom of Israel. And the kingdom of Israel split into the two nations. Israel became known as a northern nation, and Judah was a southern nation. Jeroboam was the leader of the King, kingdom of Israel in the north, and Rehoboam was the leader of Judah in the south. Samaria became known as the capital city then of the northern area of Israel. Jerusalem, which was the capital city before, now was just the capital city of Judah down at the bottom. What actually happened was Jeroboam, at that time then when the nation of Israel was formed separate from Judah, Jeroboam, he actually told all the Israelites at that point, rather than going back to Jerusalem to worship where God had always told them to worship, he then set up uh, idols in Bethel and in Dan. He told them to go and worship there. And then what happened with Israel as well, finally, just to set the context of this, in 2 Kings, we're told about this, how the kingdom of Assyria came along and conquered Israel. It captured it. It overtook it. And what actually happened was the Assyrians were living in this place at that time in the green area, and the the children of Israel and the Assyrians started to intermarry, which, according to the word of God, was just a no, 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 right? You just don't do that. And so with all of that being said, what actually happened was that for the people in Judah, as they looked at people in the north, they, they despised them. They saw them as weak as water. They saw them as just that they had completely uh, forgotten their God. And so the Samaritans, people that came from the north, the Jews looked at them with total disdain. When Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, this was just like the ultimate what on earth you do. And it's one thing that Jesus told the story about a good Samaritan in a parable. He was a man and people were scratching their heads. How do you work that out? But here he is talking to a Samaritan woman. And even the disciples in John chapter 4, after they see Jesus speaking to this woman, they come along and they say, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? But they marveled. They were just like, what on earth is he doing? This is, this is a Samaritan woman. The disciples are like, he's, he's starting to lose it. That's what they're thinking. And then in John 8, when the Pharisees and all the religious people are standing with stones, and they're wanting to throw it at this woman, the stoner, and they bring her actually out in front of Jesus and they said, this woman was caught in adultery, Jesus. They said, according to our law, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus kneels down and he starts writing in the sand and then he looks up at these men and he looks into their hearts he says, yeah, it does say that. So let him who is without sin cast the first stone. 
Because this is going back to what Jesus would have said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where he teaches, he says, For it is written, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you even have a lustful thought in your heart about another person, it's just as bad as committing adultery. So Jesus says, go ahead. Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all start leaving. And he starts writing again. And he looks up at the woman and he says, woman, he says, where, where are those who condemn you? And she says, well, they're gone. He said, well, well neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. But here's the thing. Jesus had to set aside all the cultural stuff, all the stuff in society, which can almost be like a spiritual cataract in many people's heads that stop them from engaging in people with the love and the Jesus way that Jesus has for us. These were massive cultural shifts that Jesus had to engage with. And for the people who were following closely, they were scratching their heads thinking, what on earth are you doing? Jesus was able to, he was, he was healing the spiritual cataracts in society. And what I want to do just for the last few minutes is just start naming a few people, that, a few contacts that I feel at the minute are almost things that in our minds could almost be like spiritual cataracts. Things that stop us from engaging with people. Things that stop us telling people about the need for salvation and the need for Christ in their lives. And it's so important that while we reflect on this, I want you to reflect individually at the very end on what are some of the other things in your life. So firstly, it's this, the Protestant Catholic divide. This week of all week reminds us that we are part of a nation that is divided. We are part of a nation with a massive history. One with been lots of fighting. And division where there's been lots of hatred and separation. And what it actually reminds me of is in John chapter 4. So the whole north-south divide between the Jews and Samaritans. It's almost like what it is. It's a sectarian divide. That's what it was between the Jews and the Samaritans. It is what it is between Protestants and Catholics. And yet what happens is that for many people when they, when they go to witness or they try to engage um, with one side of the, or even to relate one side of the community to another, there's almost like there's just this invisible wall that still divides us and holds us back. There's spiritual cataracts that stops us from seeing people in love. And what can so easily happen as well is that, and I've sat in Protestant churches where this has almost been the thought, is that there's this belief that if a Protestant can, can speak to someone of a Roman Catholic faith and can see them be born again, the whole point in this then is that that person would then become a Protestant. That's what our culture would. That's what our culture would think. I, I fully there, there's there's some there's some deep theological viewpoints within the Roman Catholic background that I just could not hold to. But I also want to say that there's some theological context within many Protestant churches that I just can't hold to because it's just not the teaching of Jesus. Jerry had a picture when we were discussing this with an elders, and I wanted to put this up. But what can so easily happen is that in our heads, we think that we, it's, it's hard to almost separate the P and the C. You get what it is, Protestant Catholic, right? There it is. And it's like we got to go across to the other side of the road to chat with the Catholics, or the Catholics have to come across to the other side of the road. And one of the things then we think is, right, so if a Catholic is saved, then they're going to come back to be a Protestant going across to the other side. But... As you've just seen with this, one of the things we need to recognize is that it's not about a Protestant taking on a Catholic point of view or a Catholic taking on a Protestant point of view. There's a third way, and the third way is this. It's the Jesus way. 
And with this, Jesus, where this is where we remove the spirits of cataracts. Jesus is removing them. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him, the whole world might be saved. It's that everyone might have the opportunity. Everybody might have the opportunity. So how do we engage? How do you engage with Catholic people, you know? I hope, hope you can just speak in love. And again, it's not as if it's because we're better than them. That's what I'm saying. It's not as if you're trying to bring them across to your side of the road. It's how do we all follow the Jesus way. That's what we want to go after. Last two, which is a lot more quicker. But these are still the real taboos, Muslims. And other, other religions, but particularly at the minute Muslims because of media and the whole fear tactics that that can drive in many of our hearts. What has happened is that um, because of Muslim extremists with ISIS and things like that, people have just put them all in one box and said then that all Muslims are terrorists, all Muslims are bad, and there's a skepticism, there is a judgment that's made. And particularly, this is why I want to say it, because there are many people that are within our nation who have a Muslim faith, immigrants in our nation. I didn't say this first service, but I just want to just nail this one now. It actually does my head in when I see some Christians online talk about immigrants coming to take our job. What a load of garbage. For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him the whole world might be saved. How do you look upon your Muslim neighbors with love? Not to agree with what they believe, but how do you engage with love? Because it's only love that wins all things. How do you share Jesus with love? How do you have an inroad even to share Jesus with people unless it's through love? So we can't condemn just because of what the media would say. And then finally, people, for me, this is a big one, people of differing sexual orientations. This is almost like the taboo within the church, if I'm being honest. It doesn't mean that we change our thoughts or our viewpoint and what we believe God's heart is in sexual purity. But for me, this is what John 8 and the woman who's caught in adultery signifies as well for us. She was someone who was sexually impure. And Jesus, because people were looking at her with judgment with those spiritual cataracts, saying, well, she, she can't be part of the kingdom. Look at what she's done. And what actually happens is with people of differing sexual orientations and all the different derivatives and different ways that that can be expressed, as Christians, what and as the church, sometimes what we can do is we can try to protect, and so we separate ourselves. I've heard people say this, you know, it's come out from amongst them and be ye separate. This is what they'll quote for things like this, you know, and for, for all of these, you know, with Roman Catholicism, with people of different faiths, different sexual orientations, just like guard yourself, protect yourself, but yet God sent the Son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but in order that through him the whole world might be saved. How do we engage? How do we relate? And the thing I just feel for us this morning as we finish this, this is us done. I, I would love to leave, I would love us just to leave space just for a couple of minutes. We'll not finish with a song this morning. I would love us just to leave space just in stillness for the Holy Spirit this week. And then we can pray. Because if there's work for the Holy Spirit to do in some of our hearts, you see, these are just three cultural judgments. There could be something in your heart about another group of people or another individual. So let, let's, let's be realistic about this. There could be someone in your life that actually does your head in. <laughs> people that you just struggle to get on with. 
and they're probably the last person you would share Jesus with because you're thinking I couldn't spend eternity with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yet God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that through him the whole world might be saved. It changes how we think about everyone and about everything. And so this is this morning what the Holy Spirit's saying. What is your spiritual cataract when it comes to engaging with the lost? What is your spiritual cataract when it comes to engaging with the lost? I would love you to just still your, bow your heads and just still your heart just for a couple of minutes. So we've seen in the narrative this morning, we have to tell. We have to share the full story. Let me just ask you firstly, let me ask you to reflect on this, and this isn't in a condemning way, but it's just good to think about it. When was the last time you shared Jesus with someone? some people it's a really simple thing to do but for many people there's a fear element and I want you to ask just try to identify if if it's been a long time try to identify what are some of the things that hold you back from sharing Jesus with people It's fear. We want to pray for that at the end. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of boldness, power, and a sound mind. So we want to pray a release of that at the end. And then finally, I would just love you to pray this one and ask the Holy Spirit. It might be one of the, the groups on the list that I had. It might be an individual, but we just love you just to ask the Holy Spirit just to pinpoint and identify. Now, what are some of the spiritual cataracts in your eye at the moment? when it comes to engaging with the loss? Is there stuff that even in your mind, because of what society and culture and the way you've been brought up, is there stuff still in your, as you look at people, it's hard seeing people the way Jesus sees them. Try to identify who that is for you. All right, so why don't you hold your hands out and let's just invite the Holy Spirit, can we? Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you sent us Jesus. That whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God, thank you that you didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him, the whole world would be saved. And Jesus, thank you that this is great commission. This is what you send us out to do, to continue the work. 
Thank you that this is what your heart has always been about, to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus, thank you that you get us as your people and the first thing you tell us is go make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. God, we just recognize that this is your heart for us. God, would you just release a spirit of boldness. Thank you is what you give us, power, sound mind. God, when those thoughts of fear, God, or intimidation come upon us, God, would you lift it off us? God, I just pray, Lord, for how we see people, God, even in terms of how our culture sees. I thank you, Jesus, that we have renewed vision and renewed minds now because of the new birth. Thank you that for everyone in the room this morning who calls themselves followers of Jesus, they have been born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Thank you that there's spiritual sight for us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see people as the Father and the Son and the Spirit see people. Help us to see people with love. God, if there's some of the groups and the peoples that we've mentioned this morning and other individuals, God, in our lives, God, where there's just a struggle, would you help us to see people with love? In the name of Jesus, we just lift off, God, the spiritual cataracts, God, in people's hearts. God, we lift off the spiritual cataracts, God, over my own life, God, and upon the life of every person here this morning that would distort how we see the world. Thank you that you've sent us into the world not to condemn the world, but through the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the whole world might be saved. God, release us this week. Send us out with it. Give us eyes to see, God, those times. Help us to make the most of every opportunity. And thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here and that you've been speaking with us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us today. And we pray that as we go right now, would you continue to present yourself. We don't say that this is the stop of it now and we go into our ordinary life. God, thank you that this is ordinary life for us, that we go and make disciples. So just be with us, empower us, release us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.